This week, our parasha is Vaikra, as you heard Charlene read. We're actually moving right along. We're into the third book of the Torah. And this particular parasha covers the first five chapters of Leviticus. In those first five chapters, a lot of attention is given to the sacrifices and offerings that need to be brought to the Mishkan, to the tabernacle, to be offered up. Without getting into detail of those sacrifices, some of them that we do read about in the beginning of Leviticus, in chapter 1, verse 3, we read about the olah, or the burnt offering. This is also, this also comes from the Hebrew root to go up. As you can imagine, those of you who grill... As you're cooking, you notice that the smoke goes up. The same principle. In Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1, there's a, it's the mincha, or the meal offering. It's similar to the bird offering because the fra- fragrance, once again, goes up. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, there's the shalamim, or peace offering coming from the word shalom. These are all what are known as voluntary offerings. They're thought of as the offerings that are brought by individuals who want to be elevated spiritually. Now in the beginning of chapter 4, there's a little bit of shift in the, the scope of these offerings and sacrifices. We see the offerings known as the chatat, or sin offering. And it's also called the purification offering. The chatat sacrifice, unlike the first three, is not a voluntary offering. This one is a sacrifice that's brought once someone has committed an unintentional sin. I emphasize the unintentional sin because that's what it says in chapter 4. And we're not this week in this parsha talking about those Intentional sins. We're not going there this week. So this was a sacrifice that was brought by any individual who committed an unintentional sin and needs to make atonement for it. Now, here's an important thing I, I read today. It was really a bit bizarre. Some people today actually like to skip over these chapters. They like to skip over the entire book in some cases because they believe that they're no longer relevant since we don't have a temple and therefore we're unable to observe the practice of animal sacrifice. Matter of fact, I actually read a story about one rabbi who was leading a congregation and they did the same thing as we do. They had a Torah reading and they only read from the first two books of Moses. That was their reading cycle. They'd read Genesis, Exodus, and begin again because they didn't think that the rest of it was anything that they need need to read anymore because it's irrelevant to them. So that's what they would do. They would start just like us. On On the first reading of the year, they would start in Genesis. They go through Genesis, they go through Exodus, and back to the beginning. 
So similar to what we do, except they're leaving out a whole lot. Now, I, for one, and many of my colleagues, matter of fact, I, lo- I, I like to say that most of my colleagues understand that we can learn a lot by reading and studying not just the book of Leviticus, but the rest of the Torah beyond that. One thing we learn in this parsha is that the sacrifices were for, that were for unintentional mistakes, everyone will potentially make a mistake as long as we keep living. Now, before I continue on that thought in the, in the parsha, there's a very important verse, a set of verses. When Joshua took over after Moses died, and he was preparing to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. He said this, beginning in verse 6 of chapter 1 of Joshua. Chazak, be strong, for you will lead these, these people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and resolute to observe diligently the Torah which Moshe, my servant, commanded you. Okay, wait a minute. Let's get back for a second on that. What is the Torah given by Moshe? Would that not be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy in its entirety? He goes on to tell Joshua, Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so you may be successful wherever you go. He finally he says this, This book of the Torah or depending on your translation, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do everything written in it, for then you will make your ways prosperous, and then you will be successful. Have I not commanded you? Chazak! Be strong. Do not be terrified or dismayed, for Adonai your God is with you wherever you go. So if God found it important enough to remind Joshua not to forget about the words of the Torah of Moshe, why would anybody think that we don't need to read it? Why would anybody think that there's no understanding found in there just because we can't do the animal sacrifices? Again, if we keep living, we're going to make mistakes. But... Charlene read something very, very good this morning. And that was from Hebrews chapter 10. What I'm not going to do is read what she read. But I'm going to continue from verse 19. That's okay. Needed to clean it out of my Bible anyway. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have boldness to enter into the holies by the blood of Yeshua. He inaugurated a new and living way for us through the curtain, that is, his flesh. We also have a Kohen Gadol over God's household. So let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and body washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the unwavering confession of hope for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love, and good deeds. And do not neglect our own meetings, 
as it is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more do so as you see the day approaching. For if we keep on sinning willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but only a terrifying expectation of judgment and a fury of fire about to devour the enemies of God. How do we know what sin is except through the Torah of Moshe? That's where God established what was sin. That's where God established how to atone for sin. Whether or not we can give sacrifices of animals to atone for our sins should be irrelevant. We read here and other places in the Breed Hadashah that Yeshua came to be our atonement. He replaces those animal sacrifices. But it's important that we understand why we need atonement. So understand important to know why and what is sin. Verse 28. Anyone who rejected the Torah of Moshe dies without compassion on the word of two or three witnesses. How much more severe do you think the punishment will be for the one who has trampled Ben Elohim, the Son of God, underfoot and has regarded as unholy the blood of the covenant by which he was made holy and has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know the one who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, Adonai will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We need to know why God hates sin. But we need to know what sin is so that we know we've gone against God's laws, God's Torah. So back to the parasha. This section that we, we got to in chapter 4, it starts with the description of the sacrifice that the priest is going to offer for any individual or group that commits an unintentional state or sin. The portion continues by describing the process for the entire community when it makes a mistake. Then it talks about the process for the leaders of the people when they make a mistake. And finally it describes the sacrifice of the common person if they unwittingly unwittingly make a mistake. He covers everything. He covers everybody. There's no assumption that the leaders are any different than the common people. There's no assumption that the entire community is not responsible when someone makes a, makes a mistake. And it doesn't matter who someone is. It could be a religious person, a political person, a member of the general population. The Torah serves as a reminder that everyone, each and every human being alive, before, now, and to come. That everyone can make a mistake. We're all capable of unintentional sins. If I asked for a show of hands, I don't think there would be one hand not raised that would say that, yes, they've sinned unintentionally. Because guess what? It's part of life. It just happens sometimes. When you're not thinking about it, you do something and realize, 
oh, that was wrong. That goes against God's will, God's purpose for me. I read a story about an experiment that showed how opposed people are to making mistakes. Psychologists divided a class of fifth graders into two groups. He gave gave them all a test, the same test. One group he was told that they did really well on the test and they were praised for being very smart. The other group was told that they did poorly on a test. But they were also told, you tried very hard. So next they were given a choice of two new tests. One was very simple to accomplish. The other was much more difficult. Now, stepping away from the story for just a second, between these two groups, which one do you think had the tendency to choose the more difficult task? The one that was told they did very well and praised as being very smart, or the group that was told they did poorly, and they, but they tried really hard? 90% of the children who were told that they tried really hard chose the more difficult task. Only 50% of the children that were praised for being very smart chose the more difficult task. (laughs) The, The hypothesis they came to in this test was that the children in the very smart group was less willing to risk their reputation by failing the more difficult task. They played it safe because they didn't want to make mistakes which could have impacted their self-esteem or even how they thought they might look in the eyes of another person, sometimes parents, and the people that were administering the experiment. They didn't want to disappoint themselves or the people who were very important to them. So trying to avoid mistakes, they stayed away from the riskier, more challenging, but more rewarding venture that was ahead of them. Now, after reading about this experiment, one rabbi offered this comment. It reminded him of a friend that he went to school with. Actually, two of them. He said, it helped me understand two of my best friends in high school. One was labeled genius when he was in the sixth grade, based on his high IQ scores. We all knew he was a genius because his mother bragged about it to everyone. The other one was a friend who was in our group, but he never was in advanced classes. He made the honor roll on occasion and missed it most times. We all knew he was persistent and a hard worker, but far from a star student. My genius friend had high SAT scores and got into an elite university. My other friend had average SAT scores and went to a state college. My genius friend dropped out of college because it wasn't challenging enough for him. He said that I I work and I work and I work, but there's nothing to it. He's now, after college, has worked in the same low-level job for the past, at the time of his comments, 30 years. Still hoping to write the great American novel that will make his name and make a name for himself, rather. Maybe he will. Who knows? 
My other friend went to law school and occupies a corner office at a prestigious law firm in New York City. He goes on to say, I suspect that my genius friend found college quite challenging and couldn't tolerate the idea that he was making mistakes in exams and the papers for the very first time in his life. My other friend made mistakes all the time, but he was able to learn from them and progress in his life. He learned that if, if one was not very good at something, they could get better. He knew that making mistakes was not the end of the world. People didn't expect him to light the world on fire, and that gave him a certain amount of freedom to try and fail and try again. That's the whole thing about mistakes. Generally speaking, when you've made a mistake in a particular area, usually you don't repeat that same mistake. Yes, it happens, but generally it's going to be another mistake in another area. Life is full of mistakes. How do we know they're mistakes? Because we see in the Torah what God's standard is. So if we did like this one rabbi, and we ignored Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, because everything written in there is, you know, that's, that's stuff of the past. We're not there anymore. Then we get rid of that. We don't have any record of what's right and what's wrong. That's where we find right and wrong. I don't know how many of you read recently, there's a, I guess he's a, a prominent rabbi in Israel, an Orthodox rabbi, who thinks and believes that we should do away with the entire Rit Hadashah and only have the Torah. I don't know what he says about the Tanakh in its fullness, but the Torah portion is what he focuses on. And he says the Rit Hadashah is not necessary. Of course, that because, that's because the Brit Hadashah speaks of Yeshua, and he is not in agreement with that. But he even goes to the extent of using the terms burn the New Testament. He's not alone, unfortunately. He's just one that's vocal about it. If you've been around long enough, as a believer, you know that many things you find in the Brit Hadashah has enlightened your understanding about the Tanakh. Things that you didn't quite understand when you read through the Torah or the prophets, you see something in the Brit Hadashah that says, oh, that's what that means. So without it, what do you do? You rely on what? The rabbis. The rabbis will tell you and have told you what it means. Many people, especially in that genre of belief in what God said and what God's going to do. I don't want to name particular groups. I already named an Orthodox rabbi, but there's others in that particular group that... Would, say, would want to follow his lead and get rid of the Brit Hadashah because to them it's irrelevant. Well, let's go to one of their contemporaries. He thinks Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are irrelevant. So where do we stop? Where do we say 
this isn't necessary, that's not necessary, at what point do we stop if we start eliminating things from the Scriptures? The Scriptures are there for a reason. Aside from the Tanakh, the Brit Hadashah is written by Jewish people. Jewish men, most of them who walked with Yeshua. They learned from him. But guess what they learned? They learned that he followed the Torah. He kept the law. Again, without the Torah, without the law, how do we know what's right and wrong? How do we know it's wrong to murder? We do know it's wrong. Our country was established on the Word of God. The Founding Fathers, you can read it in our Constitution and everything, how they framed this country based on Scripture. And so we adapt, adopt, rather, not murdering in our laws. But it started out with God. God said it at Mount Sinai. Ivor Stravinsky. He was a composer, a pianist, and a conductor. He once said, I have learned through my life as a composer, chiefly through my mistakes and pursuits of false assumptions, not by my exposure to founts of wisdom and knowledge. He was quite a famous composer, and he's saying that it wasn't in the knowledge, it wasn't all of that. I made mistakes. But I got back up, I brushed myself off, and didn't do it like many people do. You know, you've all heard the definition of insanity, right? It's doing the same thing the same way, expecting a different result. Stravinsky learned that that's not the way to achieve your goals. See, we shouldn't be afraid and fearful about making mistakes. I used to be, especially when I was younger. I was always afraid I was going to make a mistake, so I didn't do things, I didn't take risks, because I was afraid I was going to fail. The key is, when we do make a mistake, we need to recognize them as mistakes. Not trying to justify them. Not trying to rewrite the book in order to make that mistake okay. But recognize, I made a mistake. Then, after recognizing it, especially when it's a mistake in regard to God's laws, God's commands, then we need to atone for them. And guess what? It's so easy today to atone for our mistakes. All we do is turn to Yeshua and repent and ask Him to restore us. We don't have to go get the animal and take it to the priest and have all that blood and everything going on. There are some that say, and there's evidence in Scripture that agree, we will go back to that system sometime in the future. I don't look forward to being here when that happens. I've been to slaughterhouses. The sacrifices are nothing like slaughterhouses. It's worse. Then the third thing that we do, well, actually, in atoning, 
we're making sure that we are changing the action that caused us to make those mistakes. And then the third thing is we don't continue to make that same mistake over and over and over again. It's all about learning, like Stravinsky said. I learn from mistakes and I don't do it again. But so many people, sad to say, they refuse to realize, they refuse to even recognize that they've made a mistake. Sometimes a person, especially in a high position, whether it's in business or politics, you name it, their pride will not allow them to admit that they made mistakes. And that stubborn pride will cause them to continue making the mistakes over and over again. And then they compound the mistakes because they never correct themselves. They never change direction. They begin to act under the assumption that everything's going to change if I just keep doing it. Again, insanity. This parashat teaches, in these verses, the subject of atonement for unwitting or unintentional mistakes or sin. It reminds us that mistakes are a part of life. Otherwise, it wouldn't even be mentioned. It wasn't only for the Israelites. It wasn't only that they were making mistakes or would make mistakes, but it continues generation after generation. And as most of the scriptures we read, it says... It's for everyone. It's even for the foreigner and the alien. So it's not limited to just the Israelites or the Jewish people. In closing, if we don't take the risk because it might lead to a mistake, we don't grow. We don't learn. We don't progress. We get stuck where we are. We would never gain any maturity in that area. Matter of fact, you don't gain maturity in life if you don't go ahead and try it. That's where the growth comes in. By admitting you made a mistake and do something different so that you can do that general thing without the way you did it the first time. And... Don't stay stagnant. Don't stay in the same place. Don't keep doing it over and over again. It's all about one important detail. Sometimes we have to go outside of our comfort zone. And we all have our own comfort zones. So much that we will do and that we won't go any further because I'm comfortable here. I know what I'm doing right here. So I don't want to venture beyond that because I know nothing about that. I don't even want to try like that rabbi's friend. He kept on going. He kept pursuing, even though he was not labeled as a genius. He was average. But look how he turned out because he worked harder at it. He kept pursuing greatness, if you will. That's why people who, I'm, I'm not that way. I'm not innovative. I try to do new things, but I don't make them up. I go by processes that have been already tried. I'm not able to come up with new 
thoughts, new ideas, new ways of doing things without looking at examples. But there are people that can do that. And they're not particularly bright. They're just very inventive, innovative. But we don't want to remain mired in just what we know and not try to go further and better ourselves, increase our understanding and knowledge. See, in every mistake, there's a hidden blessing. And that blessing is forgiveness and restoration, not to mention increased wisdom. So my question is this. Can we, one, recognize our mistakes, and two, take hold of the blessing? Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we thank you and we bless you because you did give your word that we would have something to know how to do the things that please you. Lord, we actually come against those people that would say we don't need certain parts of your word, whether it be the Brichat Shah or the Tanakh, whether it be the writings or portions of the Torah that they say we don't need. Abba, we lead, need them all because they were your words. Help us to understand better how to please you. As Steve prays every week, help us to become better ambassadors of you so that not only will we not be embarrassed, we won't embarrass you. Give us the boldness to go forth, even in our weaknesses, strengthen us so that we can be successful for you. We don't ask it so that we can be known as great in the kingdom. We only ask because we want to be great for you, in your eyes. Even though we know ultimately that will bring greatness to the kingdom. But it's only through your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, living in us, directing us. So we pray that you would cause us to yield to his direction. And allow him to direct us the way you want us to go. If we're acting in an area where we just think we know everything, humble us. Bring us back down to earth. If we're acting in a way that we don't want to go out any further because we're afraid, you did say that you're not, we're not to be afraid. You said it many times in your word. We seek you take that fear away and to open those doors cause us to go through those doors with boldness your boldness and we give you the praise the honor and the glory in Yeshua's name Amen